Who has ever been privileged with the presence of the living God? Like, who's ever had that? In the history of histories, no one, but God has finally done it, and he's done it with us. And I led you up into the... Uh, into, this, to, into this region here to, to take the promised land. And when we got to the edge, remember what they did? They blew it. <laughs> exactly. Because murmured. Not even because they said we wouldn't do it, but because they complained about what God was asking them to do. And so God said, fine, get out. <laughs> take a hike. And so they go back and they wander around the wilderness of Shur for a while until finally God, after 40 years, says, you've been wandering long enough. The people who were rebellious and did not reverence me uh, have passed. So head north, and this is what we've been talking about. They head north, they pass through these, these areas here which God had not given the Israelites, and they enter this area here which God was giving the Israelites where they, by their own hand, defeat the kingdoms of Sihon and Bashan. God eliminates these kingdoms because of their great wickedness, and Israel is the instrument he uses to bring judgment upon them. And so they've had two great examples of why they ought to dread sin. They've been wandering. Nobody wants to wander. If you ever go on Google and ask to, you know, do a little search of what this looks like, it stinks, right? This is the, this is the flatlands. This is the, the Kansas, the, I don't know, whatever is terrible, um, that you've ever been, Ohio, where's Ohio, where's Ohio in the room, somebody said Ohio, I was it wasn't even me, I wasn't even, oh, and he shakes his head, don't shake your head, everybody knows driving through Ohio stinks, man, like that's just a fact, right, this is where they've dwelt, where they could, where could they have been, in the land of what, milk and honey and pizza and cookie bars, all that stuff was just flowing, and they refused it because it was too difficult, right? And so they have this memory of failure, and they have to dread even murmuring against God. And then, as God uses them to defeat, to kill, to destroy those who have, full of wickedness, the kingdoms of Sihon and Bashan, they have seen with their own hands. And now Moses steps in and says, and me too. Look at your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. So here they are. Remember the situation. They've been brought back up and they're ready to enter into the land of Canaan. And at this time, Moses says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours. Please, Let me go over and see the good land beyond Jordan and the good hill country of Lebanon. That's that's this area right here. Let me see it. Verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Speak, do not speak to me of this matter again. Now, that's brutal. And if you aren't real familiar with the Bible, maybe you're new to Christianity or you're new here, uh, that's all right. Um, Moses is sort of like the George Washington. Everybody know George Washington? Like, that's familiar to everyone, right? And I seem to remember as I was thinking about how does does Moses maybe, who would be sort of like that that we could think of? And I I seem to remember in like fifth grade uh, history, 
which speaks well of fifth grade history, I guess, because I looked it up and it, and it did happen. They had offered George Washington a third term. Like, they were like, you should do this again. George Washington's like, like, that's how big and good he was. And Moses is kind of like that. Moses is the guy who brought them out of the land of Egypt, right? He's the one who brought them across the Red Sea and he's the one who went up onto the mountain and saw God and got the law and brought it back down. He's the one who met with God face to face. He is the guy of guys. I mean, he's old at this point. He's the generation before, but there's still this immense amount of respect that he carries, this weight that Moses carries. He was the generation, though, he was tied to that generation that was receiving judgment, and God said, no, you're not going. Now, that's an important, important thing. Moses is telling them this for a reason. He's saying, listen, I've told you about your mom and dad, and you're like, well, mom and dad, they blew it sometimes. You've seen what God does to the wicked kingdoms of Sihon and Bashan. And now I'm saying, look at me. Look at me. I'm the one who talks with God. I'm the one who brought the law down to you. I'm the one who parted the I'm the one that God has used as his agent to bring about all of this. And God would not hear my prayers. He judged me and he would not rescind the judgment. Look upon this with dread. And take it seriously. It drives this whole text Our whole section here, beginning with verse 23, as you're looking at your Bibles, all the way through the end of chapter 4, which is verse 40, so 4 through 40. This whole section is driven by this. And you can see here, Moses says this two times in this section. I cannot enter the land. I don't get to go in. Why does he say it twice? Take a guess. Emphasis, right? I'm telling you this again. I don't get to enter the land. And immediately he follows this, hey, this judgment that's fallen upon me, you need to obey then the Lord your God. That's a no-brainer. And then you need to guard yourself. And this is kind of what we'll talk about as we continue through these texts. So the importance here then is that if God is talking about Moses, Moses, Moses pleads with God, and God says, I don't want to hear you ask me this again. This is done. Well, of course, Moses is then driving home. What will God do with you if you don't obey him? If you don't keep covenant, if you don't keep his word, if you don't keep his ways, what will God do with you? And then if we could sort of draw that forward into our context and today, right here, 2018, where we're talking about how do we put God first in our life, ask the question of yourself. If God would do that to Moses and all of us, We're sort of privileged, those of us who are Christians are privileged to have this position uh, with God because of Jesus, this presence of the Holy Spirit, but none of us have talked with God the way Moses talked with God. And if God is willing to do this to Moses, what is he willing to do to us if we do not take seriously his word and his ways? What would he do to you? What will he do to me? What will he do to ODCC? What will he do to all of us? And of course, then that, that draws forward the very obvious commandment there in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. So what then? I've now told you the story of what God said to me when I asked him if I could enter. And so now I'm telling you, verse 1, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live. Again, What's the purpose of God drawing near to this people and giving them this book, Deuteronomy, and the previous books, Numbers and Leviticus and and Exodus and Genesis? What's the purpose of 
so that you might live. It isn't that God wants you to have dour, miserable lives. He wants to be in your presence. And just like any other element of privilege, it comes with, not to be too Spider-Man about it, but great responsibility. Great privilege comes with great responsibility. If you want to draw near to God and you want to have a relationship with God and you want that, that's going to mean and demand something of your life. And many people will say, and even in fact the Israelites often stepped back and said, Moses, you go talk to God for us. You go talk to God. And Moses did. And so they even took a step back. But I love Joshua. I love Moses. I love these stories where they're like, no, we want to be close to God. And I know it has a great cost and a great call on my life, but I want to be in the presence of God. Does that speak for you today? And if it does, if that's a hunger in your heart, that's something you desire, then the first thing we begin with is keeping God's laws. That's what he says. I'm commanding you and teaching you these things that you might live, that you can go into the land that we've been talking about and take the possession of the land the Lord your God has given to your fathers. And then verse two, and here comes an important line. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. It's an important, important line. We might use the word completeness to talk about it. What is, what is scripture then? What is Moses giving them? He is giving them uh, words of obedience that they are not to add to or to take away from, which tells us that whatever the commands that are going to, to, that are going to follow what Moses is saying here, they are good and you do not need to add to them. This should ring some bells in our ears because many of us, if you've read the New Testament, you might hear Jesus saying, because Jesus says the same thing. He says, anyone who takes away from the least of the commandments and teaches other people to take away from the commandments, God will, be call, will, call, God will call them the least in the kingdom of God. And John, the apostle, as he wraps up the whole of the Bible, sort of the last command that you even get in the book it says, I warn, this is your last page, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And you don't want that, because if you remember the plagues, they got kind of gnarly. Like, you don't want locusts with lady hair and lion's teeth gnawing on you, whatever that would look like when it finally comes to pass, right? It's pretty serious. Like, these are the plagues that God is pouring out upon the world. This is his wrath and his judgment. You don't don't want that, and so don't add and don't take away. And and there's a kind of completeness that that God doesn't want himself to be such a mystery. Obviously, there's there's something about God. There's a lot about God that we will never know or understand. But, But to follow and be in the presence of God is not something that God wants to be mysterious to us because he wants to be in our presence. And so he's laying out before these Israelites what it what it's going to take to maintain. That presence, and in order for it to maintain that presence, there has to be a completeness to Scripture, not adding and not taking away from. And I hope that makes sense because Moses could foresee a day in a hundred years where people would say things like, man, you know, I mean, that was back when Moses was alive. This doesn't apply anymore. You know, we've moved on. Like, times have changed. Things are different. Culture shifted. Stop. I mean, time changes, right? Things change. And, and so... Moses can see that day coming, and he says, listen, don't add, don't take away. 
It might also point out the sufficiency of Scripture itself. So it's not just completeness, but sufficiency, that it, that it can lead you toward God, and it can com- help bring about a completeness of relationship so that you might be near God. Psalm 118 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. And what the king is talking about here in this, uh, in this psalm is Deuteronomy. How many of us can say, I've thought about Deuteronomy all day long? I mean, that's, a, that's, that's tough. And it, it emanates for the king, it emanates from a love, an affection for. It isn't just like, hey, I know I need to do this. It's not some kind of legalistic, well, I need to check this off. Or I, it, 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 God, I want to be near God. And so I'm diving deep into the things that he has commanded and called. Because as I live inside of those commandments and and calling, I begin to experience more and more of the presence and the life of God. It isn't about making check marks. It isn't about feeling guilty. It's about love. It's about how do we most draw near to God. And it's an old word. It's nothing new to any of you. Read your scripture. Meditate on Deuteronomy as much as you can so that through this, you might come to the place where you say, man, I love your law. It's teaching me how to, how to live like you want me to live and drawing me near to you. Then Moses commands them to be diligent to guard their soul. Here, soul, I don't mean sort of like spirit or ghost or something like that. I mean your whole being, your way of life, everything about who you are and and what you do. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. So after he says this great line of verse 7, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it that as the Lord our God is to us that whenever we call on him, he hears, right? And what great nation is there that, that has statutes and rules so righteous as the law that I set before you today? And then here comes verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest you, they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And he goes on from there. The, the first Hebrew verb I learned was shamar, which is this word here, keep, which is to keep or to guard something. I always think of it as, as guarding. It was the way sort of I, I, I translated as I was, as I was doing some you know, translation way back in the day. Um, it's, it's, it's like my daughter. When she comes home from school, my first thing is, well, how was your day? What did you do at recess? Who did you play with? Um, what did you learn about? And part of it isn't just that I want to engage her in conversation. Part of it is I'm deeply afraid she's going to get picked on. I'm afraid she's going to get pushed around. I'm afraid that she's going to learn something that I I need to talk to her about so we can kind of think about it together. I'm worried about her worldview. When she goes over to friends' houses, even friends I trust, boss, I'm looking at you. They're like, what did you do? What did you play? What did you watch? Because she is the most precious thing that is in my life, and I see her innocence, and I see her, her beauty, and I see all that she could be. It's sort of sometimes like maybe... This might be a little sentimental, but it's, it's almost like I can sort of see the future lay out before her and, and all of the pain and sorrow and all of the things that I did wrong um, and, 
and we don't want as parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or just friends, our, these kids to fall into these traps. And so what do we do? We protect them. We guard them. We're like, no, you can't watch that movie. I don't care what your friends say, right, Dad? <laughs> I don't care who's seen what. And I don't, we, we're, because we're so concerned with, with guarding and protecting this precious thing. Y'all with me? Am I? Why do you think God wants any less for you? Are you less valuable in his eyes than these little children who are running around? It doesn't matter how cranky you are. I've seen you smile at Esri when she's running about. I've seen you all do it. You are as precious in God's sight. See, we value these little, these little monsters more than the big monsters. God sees them all. And they are all his children. And he wants to guard you. And he wants you to guard yourself because he knows that the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous thing today where we live in the heart of empire is apathy. Apathy. Now some of you will fall off to the right and some of you will fall off to the left with big sins. But I doubt that I'll have to go to any of your trials for embezzlement. Most of the Christians I have seen leave and walk away, or I don't see them at church anymore, things just drop off, is because they have stopped loving God. And the dread of sin is important. And we have to know it, and we have to hold it, and we cannot forget it. But it is not the thing that will motivate you to follow God and to pour yourself into him. It is only love. The church will fail you, the people around you, the people that look around, there's someone in here, if not four or five of them, if not the whole back pew, will fail you. Or the front pew. That was not directed at you particularly, back pew. We will all fall in some way, but God stands firm. And he must be the thing that you cling to. He must be the thing that drives your heart. He must be the one that you want to draw near to. And you want to draw near with all of the other people who have that same beating heart for God. Because that's what this is all about. It's all about this. What people can say that they have a God so near to them as the Lord that whenever we call upon him, he hears it. Our voice, And isn't that not the same thing that we're told in Hebrews, that great book that lays out the way in which Jesus is the greatest of all? It says, draw near with confidence and full assurance of the faith, because when we cry out, God hears us. Who has such privilege as this? Who has such great grace as this? Don't let this passion die. Don't forget it and let it depart from your heart. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Don't forget what God has done in your life. Don't forget what God has done in the lives of those around you. Don't forget what God has done in the thousands of years of church history. Don't forget about what God has done in the scriptures because as soon as you forget and let it go and you let it trickle off, which is what we do, right? It's not we forget. We let it trickle off. And as it trickles off, slowly we move away until our hearts are cold. And we become stubborn and hard-hearted like the Israelites. And we might miss the promised land. And God has something great for you in 2018. He has something great for you. He has a promised land for you. If you are one of his children and you are pouring your life and love into him, he has something for you. Don't miss it because of apathy.
but fill your life with the scriptures and with the songs and with the church. Fill your life with the things of God that can drive you toward goodness and grace and mercy, that can bring you into a good land, that can bring you into the promise. God has more for you than you expect. And the greatest, lest some of you start cashing checks, the greatest thing we see in Scripture is this, as you read this morning, to dwell in his presence. That has to be your hunger, not anything else. When I say the greatness of God, that has to be the thing. The greatness of God is to dwell in his presence. Don't let it fall away. I was thinking, um, I was thinking about uh, this sense of apathy and and how, um, how it's so hard for us to hold on to it. I was thinking of uh, a few years ago when we, uh, we got to meet Andrew Peterson, who's a musician that we really, so sort of a family favorite. And um, I was sort of instrumental in bringing him in uh, to the Christian convention. And so I had a little extra a privilege of being able to kind of, you know, meet him and bring him into the green room and, and get him stuff. And, of course, they, they always send, like, here's a big list of stuff that we want. Like, you know, we want this and we want that. I was so pumped about seeing Andrew Peterson. If he had said, hey, I want fresh steak, I would have gone out, killed the cow, butchered it, and brought it to him myself and considered it an honor, Right? And I don't know who it is for you. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a musician or a movie star or, a, or an author, somebody that you're like, man, I would love to meet that person. And I just thought to myself this week as I was reading through this text, God, create a flame in my heart for you greater than all other loves, all other passions, all other things. Everything is passing away, guys. And this is why we're talking God first, God first, God first. And you're going to get tired of 52 weeks of it. And you know what? I'm going to keep saying it. God first. God first. God first. Uh, we've seen and talked about all of these things, right? Moses can't enter the land. Leads to the obedience. Our need for obedience. of uh, This is the name, the literal name for God, Yahweh. Uh, the Lord your God. So we should guard our soul. Here he says to remember Sinai, guard your soul because God alone can keep it. Moses cannot enter the land again, again obedience, and again guard your heart. I want you to look with me at verse 32, or 33 of chapter 4, because again he reiterates the point that I've been hammering home from the very beginning. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and to take a nation for himself in the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror, all which, of, which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes to show you that you might know that the Lord is God, and that there is no other beside him. And with more words, if you want to continue on reading it as you, as you go your way today, he continues to talk about the grace of God as it has been demonstrated in Israel. Has there ever been a people? Yes, as we read it, you are that people. You are the people who have seen the Son of the living God. Take on flesh and walk amongst us. You have seen him bear our sorrows and our shame to the cross. 
You have seen him raised from the dead. You've seen him exalted to the right hand of the Father. You have, you have seen and you have heard the stories and you have seen in your own life how he's taken your life and he has regenerated you. He has transformed you. He has changed you. He's washed you with the renewal. He has called you and given you purpose. He has justified and sanctified and he's ready to glorify you today. What great people, as Moses says this here, we as the Christian people, in light of Jesus Christ, can say, us, us, we have seen. We have seen more than Moses ever dreamed, more than those people could have ever imagined. We have beheld the Son of God. And from his fullness, we have received grace and truth. And so of all the joy and all of the dread that Moses is communicating to these people as they're about to enter into the promised land, we have been given more privilege. And what does that mean? You're so, oh man, you either know Spider-Man so well or you're paying attention so well. Either way, I'll take it. Exactly. More responsibility. More responsibility. You've been given more grace. God expects you to give more grace. How much have your, have your sins been forgiven? God expects you to forgive with the same intensity. How much has God blessed you financially? God expects you to bless financially. How much has God equipped you skill-wise with cars or with painting or with whatever it is that God has graced you with? He expects you to use that. God has given you so much more than anyone in the scriptures, and he expects more of you. And as we pursue his greatness, as we pursue this God of great love, he fills our lives with more gifts and more bounty that we might be an agent by which he pours out grace and blessings on the world. Remember that was the mission he gave to Abraham. He comes to Abraham, this this insignificant guy in an insignificant area, and he says, listen, I'm going to make you a great nation, and the whole world will be blessed through you. You will be a light to the nations, he says to the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus says, guess what? You are a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. But if the light goes out, or the salt isn't salty, then woe to the world. You are the agent by which God's grace is made visible. What an amazing and great and powerful calling we have been given. I want to end here with Psalm 32. I think it speaks to all of us. So to you, whether you are like, man, I really need to get right with God, or you're like, man, I've been walking with God really well and I feel him just blessing my life, or maybe you're the person who's like, I don't really know enough about God and I need to to have an experience or, or to talk with somebody who can help walk with me. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're just like, I don't even know, I'm just a mess. There's a place for you in the household of God. There's a place for you. Our our elders will be down front. If you need prayer, talk to anyone. Uh, We invite you to come down forward and and to, to meet with them and to pray with them and to talk with them. Hear these words, the words of God given to us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the, the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as with the, hummer, summer, the summer heat. I acknowledged my sin to you And I did 
not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found surely in the rush of great waters they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go, counsel you with my eye upon you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let this be our word, our prayer, our life, and our song. Stand with me as we praise our God.